Nine against the nine. 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 A podcast about Lord of the Rings. All right. It's nine against the nine, y'all. For real. Final episode. Final episode. And. We're here to talk about the legacy of Middle Earth, the legacy of Lord of the Rings. Yeah. It seems like I'm thinking that this is going to be the least text heavy of all the episodes. Mm-hmm. That's fine with me. Yeah. Um, we've been we've been deep in the text. I, I would say our most text heavy episode was Supremacy. Although Elves and Dwarves was pretty text heavy also. Yeah, you went off with your other, your outside the text text. Yeah, the Silma, Silmarillion. Um. Yeah, my notes. My notes say the fictional world of Middle Earth slash influence slash legacy. I got a squeaky chair. I think I'm gonna. I think I'm gonna switch out a chair. Is, Great. Do you do think it. It's squeaky. Can you hear? I it? can hear it squeak. Yeah. I don't think it's very comfortable. Okay. Let's finish with that chair check. Get some. Do a water check real quick. You got no notes again today, huh? They're all in my head. That's cool. And we are, uh, Clark and I are recording in our, what, our fifth location? Tiny house, my house, Henry's house, your big, house, my big, big house. house, the high school. The high school, where it all started. Where our relationship started. Yep. Mm-hmm. Where you first met me. You were in a bow tie the first time I met you. Really? I thought we met at like P. Really? I thought we met at PD one day. Was I wearing a tie at PD? Yeah, you were definitely wearing a tie at PD. That's stupid. I don't do that anymore. That's good for you. I'm happy (laughs) for you. And the other thing I remember about you is I. So I gave a like a presentation. I gave like a professional development presentation, probably about like ways to grade. Where I was like, oh, you know, like the the beginning of my descent into doing no grades and not thinking grades are worth anything. Mm -hmm. And I remember you used the, you came to talk to me. And I think, correct me if I'm wrong, I don't think you were offended per se, but I think you were perplexed or troubled by my notion of like, students are going to do whatever they want and, uh, and the grade doesn't matter. Does that ring a bell? I, first of all, I've always been perplexed by you. Thanks. (laughs) You always perplex me. Um, but it's challenging and that's good. I think, I think I remember this. I think what I came to talk to you about was you were like, you have to mention three, like you only get three things to talk about. Yeah. And then you were like, so like the, your, 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 your was misspelled. It was the right. wrong your. And we'll just leave it. was it. possessive and it should have been the contraction. And I was like, we'll just and blow like, it yeah. off. And like, and your, and we might not even address your. And I was like, how are you not addressing that? Right. Because it's like you have to because like the students are then like oh that's right or whatever in my mind because I remember getting my papers back my English papers in high school and they were all marked up with red and I remember going through it and being like oh right 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 it's just it was just and those things were like this like quick little reminder right right, yeah misspelling yeah change that then right my argument at the time and I guess still being something like better to work on the like something like constructing a clear uh, critical topic sentence, as we used to call them. I now call them claims. But, uh, you know, better to focus on that than to focus on the minutia of grammar and mechanics. Right. You have bigger bigger priorities. Or just like uh, broader, yeah, sure, broader. And uh, and then to hone in on the little stuff in subsequent drafts. 
Right. I think specifically moving between like an 85 grade and a 100 grade. Um, and I think now that you say like focus on the subsequent draft stuff, that makes more sense to me now. Like, yeah. So you, maybe you missed the you're in the rough draft or like draft one out of four drafts. But for the mm-hmm. penultimate draft, say like, yep, change this too. Sure. Right. This is spelled wrong. This is the wrong word. But what I really remember is your use of the word lionize. Used, I have no idea. You said, these are things that we lionize in our culture. Uh, and I, ge- I guess you were talking about the ability to use correct, proper grammar and, and correct spelling. I use that word? I'm sure you use the word lionize. I'm not sure what context. And that's what I knew. I don't even... Like, <laughs> sitting here now, I don't know what that word is. <laughs> At, I use that? That is when I knew that despite your the fact that you were wearing a bow tie, we had a, a bright, artistically <laughs> collaborative future ahead of us. Lionize. Must have been something I picked up on that yeah. was fresh. I don't and this remember is a, that. This is a nice, since we're talking educational theory, this is a nice segue into my uh, my imminent project of uh, podcasting under the title of Confessions of an Anarchist School Teacher. Keep your, you know, people out in the podcastosphere. Which Keep is, your, if people have enjoyed this podcast, listening to you and your ideas, they can continue with that whenever that when comes it, out. Whenever that drops, yep. Uh, it's a bittersweet day here at um, unnamed high school in southern Vermont uh, because I'll, I'm about to embark on a year leave of absence. Yeah, so it's graduation day here, mm-hmm. um, and I just came from my other high school where it was underclassmen awards, and I have one more day there, and then I'm out of that. And Clark, you're moving to another teaching posi- another temporary teaching position, yeah? Yeah, it's hard to have mm-hmm. continuity. Word. But, yep, one more for seven weeks, and then we'll see... What comes after that? And I'm stepping into the great unknown. The great unknown. Um, I've been living in the great unknown. I know that about <laughs> you. I know that about. We're all living in the great unknown. We just some of us are pretending that things are stable. Yeah. So I don't know. Uh, there's a couple places. There's a couple things I want to hit. Um, I I want to talk about how Tolkien's creation, Tolkien's creation of Middle Earth. Um, and his building of that universe, how it has influenced fantasy, something like fantasy fiction, or even, uh, you know, definitely I want to talk a little about tabletop role-playing and uh, and just we, ways that since, personally and socially, right, ways that socially it's influenced our world and also just the effect that it's had on me in my tiny little personal, artistic, familial, uh, professional, personal life. Right. And I have some things that I think I'd like to talk about some context for, I think, the books. And Sam will hit the same uh, same topics as you and how it, like, how it has impacted me in my life. So we're going to start. I got, a, I got a couple quotes from the author. Well, I like that. And then I want to go, I want to, like, the context I want to do is, like, the 30s and the 50s. So, like, the beginning the time and like put that into context as as he's writing yeah that's cool because i don't really have a lot on that i have mostly like the spillover like if you think of middle earth as a if you think of the lord of the rings as a as a vessel into which tolkien poured his imagination i see it as kind of overflowing into uh into the the uh, the world our world overflowing and, and influencing lots of things that were you know people say downstream you know things that are downstream historically from Middle Earth, mm-hmm. the creation of Middle Earth. All right. Uh, I, I think probably both these quotations come from Wikipedia. 
um, and they are from the Wikipedia page on Middle Earth Canon, by which we mean uh, the body of texts that are um, understood as being sort of authorized or legitimate. So, you know, like fan fiction is not canon, but, uh, you know, the Silmarillion is canon. Right. Okay, so here's the, the quotation. Tolkien's talking about um, the process of finishing the Silmarillion, which I, I think, but I'm not sure, what he I think it was finalized after his death. Do you know? I don't know. Okay. I know he had Unfinished Tales, which Christopher Tolkien was working on. Yeah, that's that's um, posthumous. Yep. And I think that the, the situation with the Silmarillion is that the industry is saying, you know, we could go, you know, get a sequel here. We'd like to see a sequel to Lord of the Rings. And he's like, you know, I don't have that, um, but I have all the mythology. And he compiles it. And, and for listeners who have read the Silmarillion and the Lord of the Rings, you know, those listeners will note the dramatic tonal differences between the two, right? One being a fantasy fiction um, epic and the other being something like uh, like a mythological body of work. Some of that is evident in, in places during this podcast where we've quoted from the Silmarillion. Okay, so it's a letter that he wrote. And uh, this excerpt says, I am doubtful myself about the undertaking. And that's the undertaking of finishing the Silmarillion. He says, part of the attraction of the, of the LR, Lord of the Rings, is, I think, due to the glimpses of a large history in the background an attraction like that of viewing far off an unvisited island or seeing the towers of a distant city gleaming in a sunlit mist. To go there is to destroy the magic unless new unattainable vistas are again revealed. So that's that reminds me of the Wizard of Oz. Like the wizard is this like magical guy, but once you reveal the man behind the curtain, it's not so great. Yeah, and in reading it, I feel maybe like that quotation belongs more in our previous episode. Because we were dealing with things like um, like Tom Bombadil that are, uh, I don't know what I'm trying to say about that. I don't know why I picked that quotation. I got another one, though. Um, well, I, no, I like that quotation because it's it leaves, there's more to it. It's like, oh, like this thing happens, but it happens within context, just like my life is happening within the context of something larger and unknowable. Mm-hmm. And maybe that's what inspires the legacy stuff is... Uh, like something like a desperation or maybe just a desire or a whim on the part of the reader to expand that universe beyond what's been made available. Yeah, sort of like if you have uh, another thing I'm thinking about is when you take a class, like you take a course of jewelry making, drawing, English, whatever, there are certain projects or whatever, you walk through this curated curriculum. But at any, well, I was thinking about my painting class, at, I'm, at any one project, you could take the skill or the idea and you can go off in like a million different directions mm-hmm. so we're gonna like follow this line but then go back and try any one of those and spread out right sort of like the world exists but like what about um so what about the sackville Bagginses? what's their history what right. about what about moria mm-hmm. like what's the history of moria yeah what's the like where'd the balrog come from what are like right. all this all this miscellany what's all that like give me more i can find out more or I can do it myself, right? Right. Can, you know, so... Um, sort of like the Star Wars universe had a lot of, like, youth Star Wars books. Like, what happened sure. on this planet? What about the young Jedi? What, who did this? Mm-hmm. It just creates a, an immense mass. Yeah, another quote, probably from the same letter. Uh, he says, the author, quote, 
makes a secondary world which your mind can enter. Inside it, what he relates is true. He's got true in quotation marks, inverted commas. It accords with the laws of that world. The moment disbelief arises, the spell is broken. The magic, or rather art, has failed. Again, not in this, I'm not in the same place as I was when I documented that stuff. I'm, I'm not... I'm not totally sure how that applies. Well, so um, so if you have, if he then writes all the stuff like the man behind the curtain, and there's something, there's one thing that doesn't match up, and you're like, wait a minute, this doesn't match up with that, then the spell of the Lord of the Rings is broken. Could be broken by something that's like, oh, this doesn't match up. Now I don't believe that. Now I don't believe the other. If you're this, saying, if this isn't true, what else isn't true? So are you like, are you saying that's a risk of fan fiction or a risk of uh, like auxiliary works? I'm, I'm seeing that as a risk that he's taking in finishing the Silmarillion. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm sure that's what he's talking about too. Um, okay, which is probably also. I mean, he went back. Uh, my understanding is he wrote the Hobbit, and then as he's writing the Lord of the Rings, he went back and revised the Hobbit, particularly the part yeah. about the Ring mm -hmm. and Gollum. And we got into that. I, I, we probably got into that in our episode about evil or our episode about Gollum. Yeah, for sure. Cool. Do you want to talk about the 30s, 40s, and 50s, or do you want to talk about D&D? Let's, let's start from the 30s. Okay. Uh, you... So the, the Hobbit was published in 1936, I think. You mean to check that or not? I don't think we need to. Okay. Like it's, but that's, that's the era. Um, then, he re then he releases Fellowship, Two Towers... The Return of the King, I think, was published in 1957. And all those are after World War II. Um, the Hobbits. Right. I'm sorry. World the, War One, and then the like the Lord of the Rings. The that yeah. that finishes after World War Two. Right. The uh, the Does Hobbit. It start. Do you think the Fellowship came out after World War Two? <laughs> I'll check. What does my book say? Published date. Anyway. You, we got we got we'll high check. speed internet now that yeah. we're <laughs> we're at a public high school. You you check that. Um, so the Hobbit was written, and it is more of a children's tale. So I got a lot of a lot of this information that I'm going to talk about or like convey. I got from a podcaster, I guess, but YouTube YouTube person called a part time Hobbit, and this is also part of the legacy because there are a lot of people talking about this and. Um, yeah, right. Part-time Hobbit is one of them found on YouTube. We're in that legacy, right? We're here expanding on the universe. So the the episode on if you ever wanted to look it up on YouTube was how the hippies or hippie generation saved the Lord of the Rings. Oh yeah, yeah. Um. <clears throat> anyway, so the Hobbit was written as mostly as like a children's tale. It has that feeling of like read to children. It's like, oh, and like you will never see a hobbit in our world because they're so quiet and when they hear you coming. So it has that myth that like childhood imagination. The Lord of the Rings isn't has a different tone to it. But um Hobbit is nineteen thirty-six. Lord of the Rings is afterwards, but all of this like TV didn't come into mainstream until fifties, sixties. Yep. So all like the books, the stories, the songs in it, radio dramas happening kind of around then, but mm -hmm. it's very much not not a visual thing the imagination like what you can make your own conclusions about what people's imagination was like what their attention span was able to do with songs like the song part now you might be like this is boring flip through blah 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 but back then it might be much more interesting mm -hmm. um you mean it might be more interesting because radio is a primary medium 
Yes, radio neat. is more. Yeah, it's a neat idea. Um, but now we have we want like the cinema, like we want cinematography. We want we want we want to, like see it. Mm-hmm. Um, so what the where was I going? You're talking about the hippies. Yeah, part time Hobbit. Lost track of what I was saying. Well, let me riff off that for just a second and see if it brings you back. My impression is that uh, Lord of the, the Lord of the Rings got really. Um, got really popular in the 60s and was kind of latched onto as a emblematic of some sort of countercultural um you know Sauron equals the industrial uh you know the global industrial or the western industrial machine and the hobbits are like the hippies in the sense to the to the, and I I hate to be so like um stereotypical or uh reductive when I say the hippies right um to a certain demographic of people in in the United States uh, maybe the the quest to destroy the ring and to return to an idyllic state is kind of tied in, at least to my mind. We're here in 2023, and we're talking about the 1960s, and that's always dicey, right? My parents are children in the 1960s. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's all shrouded in... Uh, it's an epic time period for me, and it's a time period that I don't understand a lot about. No matter how much I read, I always, I'm always going to have sort of a mythologized impression of the 60s. But the pursuit, you know, it's tied in with like flower power in opposition to the Vietnam War. Yeah. Um, and concern, you know, rising concerns about indigenous cultures and indigenous rights. Um, and all that stuff is is uh, certainly like problematic in that it's reductive. And I, I think that uh, that that zeitgeist, which we can kind of refer to as the hippies or whatever, I think uh, it's a compelling narrative for them because something about the humble earth-dwelling hobbits the people of the earth or whatever right in opposition to this huge industrial war machine yeah that was and, there you go and ding, the ding, dream ding. that and the dream that you could just drop this ring into this crack of doom and the whole thing goes kaput right everything stops grinds to a halt all the troops withdraw and there's peace on earth um that's just my impression and i and i think uh, oh man like you drop the thing into the Drop the ring in, and it's like cataclysmic, maybe like a bomb. And it yeah, all stops. Well, yeah, maybe. I mean, I hadn't thought of it that way. I had thought of it as like there's a scene in Slaughterhouse Five by Kurt Vonnegut, which I think came out in 1968 or nine, um, where the protagonist Billy Pilgrim, who's unstuck in time, famously unstuck in time, uh, watches a war film, and it's he watches it happen in reverse, and so all these all these bombs get sucked up into these jets and the jets fly backwards away from Germany and back to France and they land backwards and people get out and they disassemble the bombs and they return all the dangerous materials and the bombs back to the planet and everyone go, you know, it goes all the way back to Adam and Eve in that story. And that's what the ring promises is like a, a return to a peaceful state rather than um this this hellish war situation that everyone's kind of embroiled in yeah and so i think that's that's really cool that you're like you're picking up on that because you didn't see this episode of the part-time hobbit but what like her contention is or her theory what she puts out there is like world war ii is this like just destroys europe and it's a wasteland Mm -hmm. and there seemed to be this desire or this movement 
um, you know, like nostalgia feels good. And like when, like, let's look back to medieval times when there's like, it wasn't really the dark ages. It was the ages. It was like an age of illumination and right. light. And we put, there were the like beautiful stained there's glass magic in the world in cathedrals. And there was like the Renaissance and like this amazing stuff happened. So let's look to back to that time. There were swords, there were knights, there was armor. Right, chivalry. Like, yeah. yeah. War is not about killing millions of people. Right. It's, it's not about, about dropping the combat bomb. between heroes. Right. Right. So then they like look back to that and there's also in the part about the land. The hobbits are very much of the land. Tom Bombadil is like living in the forest. We talked about him. Um, and Stephen Colbert loves The Lord of the Rings. He, one of his favorite, I think it was this past year, he's, like there's a March something or other is Tolkien Reading Day. And he recommended this year certain chapters which are very descriptive of the land, which he sees as Tolkien writing a love letter about the English countryside. Mm -hmm. Like the green hills, the trees, the the flora, the fauna. Yeah. On my last read of Lord of the Rings, I was acutely aware more than ever before, maybe because I'm more in touch with my garden or, or more in touch with gardening and more in touch with uh, natural reality. I was, I was struck by how how um, expressive the passages on the landscape are. Mm -hmm. You know, he's just, uh, he's constantly referencing the different kinds of, what the plants look like and uh, what's growing the landscape. And so we're assuming that he's writing this post-World War II and that he's seeing that and seeing and hearing and like all this just damage and destruction and war is there. And this is very much a counterpoint to that. It's also... Like it comes out in '57, so it's like time enough that you know, the end of the war has passed a little bit. '50s maybe were good economically, or people were much happier. It's like this relief of like enough time has passed that maybe we're not as depressed, or like not as much depression is there from as the, like from the '40s. Yeah, you're treading on dangerous ground, uh, thinking that the 1950s are psychologically healthy, right? But in terms of a relief from the abject right. hell of the Holocaust, World War II, uh, you know, Hiroshima, Nagasaki. Right, there is that, that stuff relief. is, is uh, just pure terror. And maybe, you know, I, his experience in England was maybe different than the suburban American... For sure. Um, ...psycho hell that I imagine the 1950s is. Or a citizen in Italy or France yeah. or Germany. But even, even in the suburbs here, it's, may, Africa, it's, maybe, a, maybe it's a relief... Right. I get the impression that that people of that generation uh, who witnessed war um, firsthand are uh, are relieved that it's not that it's not the end of the world. Yeah. And I th um, there also seems to be this, and I know that uh, Tolkien served in World War One, and in it he saw atrocities, and there was this camaraderie and fellowship that existed with like the men there mm -hmm. and afterwards and he had this the group that met at the bird and the baby or whatever that pub was and c.s lewis and the inklings the inklings yeah the camaraderie and the fellowship that happened so we have that those themes existing in the books right so we can't so this is all sort of to offer context of the time in which the books were written it's all like it's a lot of supposition about what he might be thinking because we don't know but there are these themes and we can see that these themes could come out of that time yeah 
Um, it's worth noting that I think Tolkien is on the record as sort of vehemently denying that the book is an allegory for World War II, right? Yeah, sure. I think that's maybe in the preface to The Fellowship, right? Which is, so like The Ring is not yeah, the atomic not, bomb. Yeah, it's not the atomic bomb, and Sauron is not uh, Hitler, right? Mortar is not Germany. Right. Um, Same way we were saying like orcs are not, like there's no direct equivalent to whatever is in this world. Although um, there is some weird overlap with the way that uh, anti-German propaganda in America and England was portraying German soldiers in propaganda posters and and depictions of orcs. Hulking, mm-hmm. brutish, mm-hmm. right? Barbaric. Um, so that's interesting. And also it, it seems a little uh, naive to assume <laughs> to, for Tolkien, the creator of this world, to disavow any relationship between his depiction and his experiences. That right. seems almost uh, neurotic. So there are things that he could be influenced by the, the, so like the legacy of those posters could be like showing up in the Lord of the Rings and the same thing with like things we see in Lord of the Rings are showing up later mm-hmm. and I think uh, another point about maybe the final point from the the part-time Hobbit is that this like this story was it's about you know swords and armor and there's some magic elements but it's not a children's book yeah. It's not it's meant it's meant for like an older demographic. So rather than, you know, King Arthur and all of that which maybe that was all more kept to childhood at that up until that point, this is like maybe the first adult fantasy fiction. Sure, it's yeah, I mean like it's, it's so old. it's like starting it all. It's so old to me that I wouldn't know, but uh maybe there is a sense that fantasy fiction is uh you know, like nursery stuff prior to the creation of the Lord of the Rings. Right. It's also maybe, you know, the effects of World War the psychological effects of World War II might kind of demonstrate that it's it's not kid stuff. Right? Like the stakes are much higher in Lord of the Rings than they are in King in the, Arthur, well, Robin in the Hobbit. Hood. I was gonna say in the Hobbit, oh. right? Um I mean yeah, the stakes in the Hobbit are the the survival of the dwarven party mm-hmm. and the defeat of Smog. Yep. Um and there's a you know there's a risk of a big war, there is a big war right. Um, there's, there's a, a risk. battle. There's a battle, and and there's a risk of elves and dwarves going to going to war against each other. Um, but like in Lord of the Rings, it's the it's the entire world yeah, is at fate, stake. Fate of the whole world. Yeah. Okay. Um, moving ahead in time, but back in the conversation just a bit to the '60s. Um, and I don't know if this is if we can locate this text in the 60s exactly, but I know that uh, the first time I saw this text, I was at my aunt and uncle's house, uh, and I was looking at their books, and I was probably like, I don't know, maybe 13, 14. I had read Lord of the Rings. Do you know Board of the Rings? Have you heard of Board of the Rings? No. So Board of the Rings is, is, is I think, like maybe the quintessential parody of Lord of the Rings. I haven't read it. Uh, probably should. It might not be any good. <laughs> the main character's name is Dildo. Oh, jeez. Right, yeah, so it's on that level of, like, just body um, parody. It's okay. a ribald parody. Um, and I would, I would guess that that's, like, a late 60s, early 70s okay. gag. Well, I think... Um 
at some point in in that time period, um, the hold on a second. Can I, can I say one more thing about that before you say that? Yeah. My point being maybe that uh, that the the uh, the thing that's being parodied is so available, like it's so much in the public consciousness by that point that everyone's going to get the joke. You know, everyone knows who Bilbo is. Right, it has right. to be it has to hit, hit a, like a certain tipping point before you can parody it. Right, and like, yeah, yeah, Coolio's Gangsters Paradise has to be big before in, yeah. Weird Al can make Amish Paradise. Exactly. exactly. So, in that time, like that time period is when I think your Valentine, your issue of the Valentines books was first published, mm-hmm. and I think yours with your the cover art is the first paperback copy of those books, mm-hmm. and that's when it came out. Um, so there was some there was some weird copyright law that Part Time Hobbit talked about, and Ace Publishers printed it, but yeah. then Valentine's bought it, bought it, and then they published it as paperback, and the paperback was like, oh well, it's cheaper that way, and like we don't want to, like, that's not that's not literature anymore, but it reached a lot wider audience. It sold for cheaper, it reached people, it became mainstream. You mean uh, the unauthorized ones or the authorized ones or both? There was an yes. unauthorized. There was an unauthorized uh, paperback version. I right. Think. I think if, it was like Ace Publishing. I think you're right, and I think Ballantine. I think Minor. The you know the, the official, the yeah. authorized paperback yes, version. That. So again, in order for there to be Earthsat's copies floating around, there needs to be enough demand or enough uh, impression that they'll sell. Right. To generate that kind of imitation text. And I think the Ace thing was like they did it without buying the copyright. The and they did that somehow which so if you don't have to pay the, for the copyright you can make a profit on it more easily mm-hmm. that could be it yep but then it's out there then it's out in the the public consciousness they start making movies about it um there're a bunch of different versions of it apparently yeah and that is probably i don't speak authoritative authoritatively on this but that's probably around the time that some of these nerds who are going to create um, Dungeons and Dragons are are reading it? Um, can we talk about that, or you want to? Do you want to talk? D and D. Yeah, you want to talk D and D. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, I like a lot of people. I was familiar in the eighties and nineties with Dungeons and Dragons, uh, but I never, I didn't play it. Um, it seemed overwhelmingly mathematical and complex to me as a child. I realize now it's not. And then Because you have to have like tetrahedron dice and a D20 and yeah. D6 and roll that three times. and Yeah, I mean, yes. Plus one sword, plus minus it's two shield. More and, that stuff. More the like plus one shield, plus two sword. Well, uh, I've got a armor, counter spell card. and Armor classes and spell casting. Vancey and spell casting. High dexterity score so I can right. dodge your... Yeah, and, and, the, and the multiple different abilities. It just seemed like a lot of numbers. I wasn't real into math as a kid. Um, but I was real into fantasy stuff, so I never played it. My my point being, I eventually did start playing it. Uh, that w- again, that's a one of the legacies of working here at this high school. I Stranger Things came out. My students wanted to play it because they see these characters playing it. And yeah, they were like, you know, uh, what's what's uh, what's what's how do you play D anD D? And I was like, I don't know, but I, I think it's I think it's like this. You know, I don't I don't play it, but I, I think you play it like this. And I explained what little I knew, and, and they said to me, "It sounds like you do know how to play it." And I was like, "I, I really don't, but but I'll I'll learn, and we'll play it." So the first few times I played D and D, or something that was <laughs> something that was like D and D based on 
I, there's different ways to get involved, right? And and some people around that time, that's got to be like what 2017 or 18, maybe even 16. Sure. Anyways, whenever the whenever the first Stranger Things was coming out, the first season of Stranger Things, um, is that what it's called, Stranger Things? Yes. Okay. Um. I think a lot of people just bought. Yeah. <laughs> uh, that's fun. <laughs> I think a, I think a lot of people just bought the fifth edition books and and started learning the rules. And I I was like I don't need them by, you know I'm just gonna. So I bought some dice and I bought, I bought the dungeon the advanced D and D dungeon master guide, which made almost no sense to someone who didn't know. The, the rules for a player. You're like, I don't need physics 101. I'll take quantum physics. Exactly. Yeah, that was my take. And I just I just started cobbling together the rules um, piecemeal and playing before I knew how to do it, just kind of intuitively. And I'd played some video game RPGs, namely uh, Dragon Warrior for Nintendo. That was a, that had a big influence on me as a kid. All that stuff is downstream from D&D, and D&D is downstream from from Middle Earth and the, the reason I know that is because I felt compelled to write an essay about what it's like to learn how to play D&D and in doing so I, I learned that, that the Dungeons and Dragons is basically the result of people playing war games where you know like uh, you know pushing cannons and little soldiers around a board with croupiers. Yeah, like little lead croupier? soldiers, tin soldiers. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Moving those guys around a board. Like and a croupier is that like the bat scrap, pack scratcher looking thing? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And like moving them around and saying, you know, like uh, mathematically, probability wise, you know, uh, this versus this results in this. Um, Practicing war, war, tactics. Yeah, tactics with a with a with a game element to it. Yeah. People who are into that stuff, and there's still a lot of war gaming, tabletop war gaming stuff that's still yeah, pretty I mean, vibrant. Yeah, that, that thing is essentially Warhammer. Sure. Like Warhammer Fantasy, where you have yeah. units and you so, move them around the same way. Right, the fantasy element, I think, results in Gary Gygax, Gygax, Gygax. I've never heard someone say his name out loud. Cool. Uh, sort of the godfather so, of How D&D. do you want to pronounce it? I'm never going to say it again. <laughs> <laughs> the godfather of D&D and his buddies saying it would be fun to, you know, it would be fun to do wargaming in Middle-earth. Like that would be fun. Having read the books, I think there's a like an explicit direct line from the Lord of the Rings uh, to the creation of D and think that it was they were literally trying to recreate the the conditions, the probability warring conditions of the Lord of the Rings in the context of a tabletop game. Okay, my understanding of D and D, I've I've never played it. I've been interested. Like it's always been like, oh, that's interesting. I think I'd like to, but it seems very involved. Um, it seems like there's a party, like a little group of adventurers. Yeah. Hello, adventurer. And they, you know, they meet in a tavern and they get a mission and they go off in like into dungeons or, yes. and they did like, Oh, a monsters here. And then, Oh, let's like loot the treasure chest. Yeah. Like, you beat the monster. You take the treasure. Right. So it's yep. individuals moving around a little world and you gain experience points. Right. Yeah. And this is like, this is, my friends um, bought a game called Gloomhaven, which is a board game which where it's laid out for you. You don't need the Dungeon Master. There's a big book. It's this huge box. You, you put stickers everywhere. You go in and you defeat these little things and you have your little character. You get new characters. Maybe it's like a 
like a try this out and then like the next maybe it's like the next step is full D D with your creativity yeah like full-fledged um but that's what it seems like so like the, the instead of the war instead of the war tra- instead of like the war like the full units the tactical part it's individual characters which you get to portray and imagine yourself as part of okay so some explicit connections between fantasy tabletop role playing and uh and Lord of the Rings um I want I want to name a couple beyond the basics that we talked about beyond the the lineage itself uh, you would mention like a, like a like a party, you call it a party, right? Yeah. And you had mentioned meeting in a tavern, right? A party being a group of people. Yeah. And you had mentioned uh, going into a dungeon and yeah. killing monsters, right? right? And just from that description, there's um, that's that maps almost directly onto the the um, the Fellowship of the Ring is the adventure party. Yeah. And they're composed of different races. And they, di- met, and they and met Strider classes. in a tavern. They met Strider in a tavern, and, and even Elrond's place has the vibe of the tavern where yeah. you meet... Elrond's kind of like the NPC who says, the mission is this. Um, and uh, and, the, and then almost immediately upon leaving Rivendell, they go into a dungeon, right? Moria is a dungeon. Mm-hmm. And there are, there are minor... Um, Monsters. There are orcs down there, mm-hmm. and there's a there's a troll, mm-hmm. and then there's a Balrog. There's like yeah. a boss, right? Yeah. There's like a level boss, um, and people die, and people gain experience, right? Like uh, I don't know if that's the is that the first time Frodo? No, he stabs the dude on Weathertop, um, but some of those hobbits are stabs him in the foot. He stabs the. The what's his face? The Witch King. The Witch King. I don't know if he stabs him in the foot, but he stabs him with Sting, right? I'm pretty sure. Does he? I think so. I think that's how he dissipates them. I don't yeah, I don't know. Either way, either way, we see hobbits kind of hobbits are doing new things down in there that they've never done before, right? Fighting. I don't think Mary and Pippin have fought until that point. No. I don't think they thinking back, I don't think the hobbits do anything on weather topics of like, oh shit. I think Frodo stabs the Witch King of Angmar on Weathertop. Mm. I think he puts on the ring and stabs him with Sting. Either way, another thing, it's just striking me now. I don't think he stabs him. Okay, we'll we'll check. You want to check right now? (laughs) All right, here we go. So with the, on Weathertop, this is from Fellowship of the Ring, A Knife in the Dark. Um, The riders catch up at Weathertop. This is on my page 220. Terror overcame Pippin and Mary, and they threw themselves flat on the ground. Sam shrank to Frodo's side. Frodo was hardly less terrified than his companions. He was quaking as if he was bitter cold, but his terror was swallowed up in a sudden temptation to put on the ring. So yada, yada, yada. It goes on a couple more paragraphs. Uh, There are five figures there. Three start advancing, two of them halt, and the third, taller than the others, bears down on Frodo with a knife. He sprang forward and bore down on Frodo. At that moment, Frodo threw himself forward on the ground, and he heard himself crying out loud, Oh, Elbereth, Gilthaniel! At the same time, he struck at the feet of his enemy. A shrill cry rang out in the night, and he felt a pain like a dart of, a, of poisoned ice pierce his left shoulder. Right. So they both stab each other. Right. Um, well, he struck at the feet. It doesn't say he made any type of connection. Okay, maybe he didn't stab. 
So he he struck he struck out of the feet though, but Pippin and Mary like fell flat but in it terror. Dis- but it Sam dis- shrunk to Frodo's side, but they did nothing. But it does dissipate the attack, right? The attackers leave after that. Well, I think what he it doesn't is, keep stabbing. Frodo until he's dead. Frodo passes out and he comes to he comes to lying by a fire and he's like, "What happened?" And Strider came in with a Strider came in and fought him off. Oh, you think it's Str- you think it's Strider yeah. that fought him off? Interesting. That but, reminds me of how we were talking earlier about I probably in the evil episode, uh, which again is similar to the way fantasy tabletop role play works, where the monsters have to be at a comparable challenge level or a feasible challenge level for the player characters, right? The Witch King of Angmar, it's it's almost absurd that they could fight him off in this scene. Right. Given what he does, you know, by Return of the King, the the kind of like uh the kind of killing he's capable of. It's mm-hmm. almost it's ridiculous that that Frodo would like s- stab at his feet and then and then Strider would fight him off. Right, but um, I think that there might be something like their the riders are gaining in power, they don't yeah, have yeah. it right. They're like right. Their, their power is building like good, um yes. What's that not uh, Dragon Ball Z? Like he's who, who's that Goku? Goku like sits and he like charges up his energy before he can attack. He goes Kaioken. Yeah, whatever. I don't know. I just <laughs> I don't know I've been that hearing is. that phrase a lot. He goes Kaioken. So, but in terms of like gain experience, mm-hmm. there are three hobbits who did nothing in mm-hmm. front of the enemy in this case, and then right. like Moria is later, and they they do fight. I mean, Sam's wheel in yeah, the frying pan, and eventually, is it is it Pippin who kills the Witch King? Mary stabs him in the leg, which brings him down to his knee, which allows Eowyn to... Right. Mary helps take him down. Yeah. Right. Um, And I think a good DM levels the monsters up with the... The challenge level of the monsters increases as the experience and abilities of the players increase. Yeah, that's just good gameplay, right? Good game design. I'm thinking about, I'm like, right now, I'm thinking about this experience of the, of Mary. Like towards the end, he stabs the Witch King, this like huge boss, and Pippin goes on to fight in front of the Black Gates of sure. Mordor, yeah, being yeah, like, yeah. "This is it, man." Yep. And he thinks about Mary, but he's going to fight that final battle. And here in this first scene, they throw themselves to the ground, right? Mm-hmm. In terror. Yeah, they hide. Yeah, so they take the hide. They take the hide action. <laughs> um. Which worked. So a couple other things. I, going into Moria, that's another kind of classic dungeon setup in in D and D is uh, like the Guardian, right? The what do you call it? You call it something? Something in the water. The, the Watcher in the, in the water. water. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I don't, is that in the book or is that just a phrase you use? I think it's in the water. Okay. It's in the book. Either way. It's, like it's in the book. Either way, that's a that's another sort of quintessential dungeon moment where, uh, you know, there's an initial an initial challenge and in the game in in terms of game strategy or dm strategy i think the goal is to kind of tax the players so that they have to use all their skills so that they're in an increasingly compromised position as they as they work their way into the dungeon so that they have to like learn how to use their skills and so that the uh the challenges become it becomes more and more challenging as they proceed because they're like tired out, they've lost hit points, they've lost spells. Um, this sounds like teaching. <laughs> I was gonna, I, you, I couldn't tell if you were saying it sounds like teaching. Uh, no, it sounds te- like 
it sounds like teaching, like like use all of your skills, and by the end, like the final project or whatever, using all of your skills, you're like you're stressed out, it's the end, like you're tired, you haven't gotten sleep. There's a test come up, another class. Like you're, you're talking about the teaching experience or the like or the, student the teaching experience? The teaching. This sounds like the teacher is the dungeon master, and the student is the adventurer. Yeah. Or well, I also thought maybe you meant you know, and they gain experience, <laughs> and then they then they win. They beat the big boss, sure. the, final yeah, exam. the final exam. Right. I I thought you were maybe saying you know by fourth block you're exhausted as a teacher. No, not the daily. Not, but that not also, the daily. right? Like, you know, they, they wear you out, blocks one and two and three. Uh, you got to use all your spell slots, and then by fourth block, you know, <laughs> fourth block, all you got is a dagger or whatever, and you get these cursed things in your arms or whatever. Um, so another, uh, there's a, I'll, I'll be done with D&D soon, but a couple other things is, uh, I think the barrow, the situation with the Barrow Downs and Tom Bombadil is, is really demonstrative of, um, like a, like a, like a combat interaction in D&D in the sense that they're they're trapped, right? And they can't fight their way out. Frodo has to use a skill. He's got this song, right? He has to use something other than his weapons. He calls on Tom Bombadil, right? That's the way he gets out. Yeah. And then and then very much like D&D, Bombadil just hauls out all the treasure, right? So like you beat the monster Yep. And you get the treasure. Right. You search, you know, you search the area, and you find X number of gold coins and and this armor and this you know the swords and this stuff that you can like take. You sell it. You can use it. Some of it's cursed, whatever. Um, that seems like really, uh, really direct, a really direct line through line from yeah, sure. from this book to the way dungeons work. Right. And the same thing, like thinking about video games, the video game Diablo. Totally. It's the same thing, and that can also be played online multiplayer, where you have like a couple people going in to raid the dungeon. Mm-hmm. Um, so another thing is, there's a we don't have to look it up, but we can. As they're leaving Riv- as the uh, as the fellowship is leaving Rivendell, there's a scene that describes the different members of the party, who they are. And it, it's, it, I mean, it almost feels like it's written after D and D because it describes their race. Their class, you know, the elven archer carried a blah 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 blah. It says who they are, what they look like, and what they're carrying. Um, and some of the archetypes of some of the racial archetypes in in D and D come. I guess maybe all of them kind of come from from Lord of the Rings, but uh, specifically this like so Gimli's. I think Gimli's referred to as being. There's a couple times in the book where he's slow, right? He has to like he's slowing the party down because he's mm-hmm. got shorter legs. Uh, a dwarf's the distance that a dwarf can move uh, is is a is a lower number yeah than the distance that uh, you know a human can move right same in same in um, Warhammer dwarves move three humans move four elves move five right yeah 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 elves being fast uh, elves being fleet and uh, elves seeing long distance that's a thing that's you know uh, Legolas is often his sight is a is a major thing when they're on the plains. Yeah, I think that he's the one who can see the farthest. Yep. I don't know about like what we call dark vision in in D and I'm not sure if that plays into it. Um, in D and D, it's called dark D- vision. In D and D, like a dwarf and an elf don't have to light a torch, but a human has to light a torch if mm-hmm. they want to see. Okay, so like night vision, like night eyes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like jaguar or whatever. <clears throat> jaguar can see in the dark. Yeah. So dwarves are adapted to caves. Elves are adapted to the forest. Mm-hmm. Nighttime. Yeah, and dwarves can do things in D and D like uh, they can look at 
they can look it, it could be it could be Pathfinder which is like an sort of an offshoot um, system it might be in D&D too dwarves have advantage on things like uh, like appraisal or maybe like stone identifying stone work you know reading things that are that have to do with stone mm. um and then just a little bit on my experience, because after that experience playing with uh, the students here, I ended up playing with some adults, and we've been playing for, I don't know, five years or whatever, six years, probably six years. And uh, I played, I started off DMing, and then I, I played a couple different characters. And I've noticed a couple things. One thing I noticed is that I, for a while, I was playing a half-orc. And... Uh, Which is half-orc, half-human? Half, well... Yeah, he, he his backstory is that he doesn't actually know um, his lineage, but it's becoming clear that he's half human and half orc, and uh, and that's a neutral character, um, true neutral or whatever. Which and so the D and D thing is chaos, chaotic, chaotic good, and, chaotic, chaotic and lawful, lawful, good, good and, and evil. evil. Yep, and neutral is in the middle of right that. Middle. And you could be like new, lawful neutral, which means that you're not chaotic. Or you're not good or evil, but you're lawful, right? You could yeah. follow laws, but it doesn't. Not there's not really a morality to it, right? So he's he's straight neutral, and uh, and he's you know he's got like he's kind of I would he's he's tending toward evil. He tends toward evil because the orcs are kind of quintessentially evil mm-hmm. in the you know in the monster manual. Mm-hmm. He worships or uh, is beholden to an evil god. Um, and I really find that it gets gets into my personality um, versus this. I'm playing with another group of people, and I, with them I play like a rogue, a human rogue who's noble from a noble background, and he uh, he's probably also not. I don't know exactly. I don't remember what his alignment is, um, but he's not as as uh, sinister of a character as the half orc. And I, I was shocked at how much it influences my demeanor and how uh, how the role-playing of an orc versus the role-playing of a human and the role-playing of a, of a character that tends toward evil versus a character that tends toward good, um, how much that gets into this one's own psychology. You mean during, like, while you're playing the game, you're taking, no, like, even you're outside, it, but, like, outside? Even outside the game. Beyond yeah. the game, like, the next morning, the next week. Something kind of pessimistic about playing a character that tends toward evil. Yeah. Um, that's maybe not going, that's maybe not going anywhere. I just figured I'd, I'd share that I played a half-orc. Um, especially in light of our recent discussions about half-orcs. Uh, I wasn't really clear until our last discussion that half-orcs were, I wasn't really clear until our Supremacy episode that half-orcs were even, even a thing. Um, in Lord of the Rings, right? Whatever I played, they are mentioned. Played a half work. Yeah. Um. Yeah, I think that's it for Dean. I don't. I don't think I have. I mean, I think it's it's pretty obvious, right? That it's that it's downstream from Lord of the Rings. Yeah, that seems like a pretty clear link. And you've played Warhammer. I very you've dabbled very moderately very no not even moderate mildly you've looked at the stuff you look yeah at I've looked at the stuff I've I've had I've had figures I painted them I wrote my like a high school essay on painting the figures I never played it I played it like I was part of one or two games at a games workshop that was you know whoever the show up and we we're gonna have a game mm-hmm. and then 
like this will be fun and then you can buy some stuff and go home but you were immersed in the aesthetics of it yeah the aesthetics were really cool like model building painting you get to visualize like little doors with shields the bretonian knights riding their horses with all of their like like banners and like they're really cool Mm-hmm. Uh, they were my favorite. Super complex, hard to paint, but when you the few times you played, what kind of character did you play? They're not characters. It's just um, oh, you pick a whole yeah. You, you get a, like I got the whole army. So for the for the open work like game thing, you there are a bunch of little children there. I was twelve or whatever, and you get a unit. You're in charge of this unit. What are you doing with your unit? And there are six of you on a team. Six of you are the Bretonian Knights. Six of you are the Dwarf's Last Stand. Each of you gets a unit. Mm-hmm. And you had already read Lord of the Rings? No, maybe, probably not. So you were a kid. Yeah, this oh, is okay. pre. This is like seventh, eighth grade. So you weren't Sixth, necessarily seventh, grade. you weren't necessarily tuned into how much of that stuff was influenced by Lord of the Rings. Oh, zero percent. Okay. Um, but they do have so Warhammer had like the fantasy games. I was really into that because the knights. They also have Warhammer 40k, which like the Eldar are the evolution, like the year is 40,000. They have um, a Mord, they came out with Mordheim, I think that's how you say it, where you could then play individual characters and you were roaming around a city, which is more D&D like. And when Lord of the the movies came out, the Peter Jackson movies came out in 99 to 2004, they, at one point, 2003 or 4, they came out with the Lord of the Rings version of Warhammer so you could actually buy those characters okay. and you could go down into Goblin Town with the the dwarves and Bilbo and hmm. Glamdring and Orcrist and all that Word. or you could be like the Fellowship the Fellowship were there you could paint the writers that I remember you could have the uh, the Paths of the Dead guys which were portrayed oh, yeah. as like green ghost figures you could have those those figures existed so that's sort of an explicit reference to Lord of the Rings oh it was a direct right, co- right. like directly from the movies franchise tie-in yes mm-hmm. for sure okay uh, merchandising how can we, how else can we get it out there video games yep also another another spot where Lord of the Rings comes up a lot I've not played any Lord of the Rings well no that's not true I have played uh, the demo I used to have this like you know back with um, desktop computers I had a, a CD-ROM that had a bunch of demo versions like level 1 or level you know 0.5 mm-hmm. of a level so you could try it out before you buy mm-hmm. a $50 yeah. game and I played I played the uh, Lord of the Rings demo version over I was young enough to not understand that it was that there was no way I was getting out of the Shire like when I got to the Brandywine Bridge I just couldn't pass it and I just was sure that there was a way that I could that I could get over, but I I couldn't. Cause so that was the end of the demo. That was the end of the demo. Right, yeah. Demo was means. I think I played that same demo, hmm. but like I because I remember being the little character, being Frodo, putting on the ring to sneak by people, but take it off before the timer runs out, and then you're sucked oh, into the yeah, maybe. shadow world. I think there were uh, some spiders or wolves or something going on there. You had to like yeah. be invisible to hide from the wolves. Yeah, it's been a long time. But it was the I, the game was called Fellowship of the Ring. Yeah, probably the same computer game. game 2002, three something. No, not for me. I bet if you're playing it, then it's probably a different game. Could be. I was playing this probably in like, uh, I don't know, 94. Oh, wow. Yeah. I think. It's a guess. 95, maybe. Um, Is that the only video game you've played? 
in my life. No. Of Lord of the Rings. Yeah. Because there are many. Yeah, there are, and I want to get back at it, but I also just want to more explicitly check uh, Dragon Warrior. Uh, Dragon Warrior had such a profound if- impact on me as a, as a kid. This the OG Nintendo, the square one? Yep, yeah, yep, 8-bit Nintendo. And uh, I think Enix was the company that produced Dragon Warrior. And uh, I loved it. I mean, I spent hours and hours and hours. More Hours doesn't even... Killer hours? <laughs> yeah, sure. <laughs> and uh, and that's how I understood hit points was from that game. Mm-hmm. They used for magic, for spell casting, they used a magic point system where you had a certain number of magic points and spells like cost... Like mana points. Maybe, yeah. Which in uh, Diablo, it's mana points. It's yeah. in a blue vial and your health hit points are in a red vial. Sure, yeah, yeah. Um, and I had assumed that magic points with spells that cost different amounts of points was how D&D was organized. And in fact, they used something called Vancean spellcasting uh, in D&D, which is named after Jack Vance, who wrote The Dying World, which for you nerds out there, I would strongly, re- if you haven't read it, I would strongly recommend The Dying World. It's a collection of short stories that take place in a fantasy universe and the situation with the um, with the wizards and the way they can um, obtain and deploy spells is similar to w- what D&D calls spell slots. So one, one thing with the spells directly with like Lord of the Rings, Lord of the Rings has magic, it has spells. Um, Gandalf cast a spell of binding or something on a door. The counter spell from the Balrog was terrible. Mm-hmm. But there's real it's the spells in D&D or Warhammer or other video games are much more I don't know I want to say explicit yeah there's not a lot of magic in Lord of the Rings it's, in terms there's of spells. not and it's not it's not you're not casting a fireball you're not attacking people with it it's more subtle subdued mm-hmm. like it exists it's not but it's not yeah like the nature of Galadriel's magic is not yeah. clear it's magic and it's got something to do with preservation. Well, there's the magic. There's the mirror. The mirror right. of Galadriel. But like maybe Sam could like Sam could be tripping on psilocybin at the same time and envision it. Right. We don't ever see someone in Lord. Of, I think we in Lord of the Rings. No one ever like kneels down, puts their hand on some wound, and heals it with magic. Right. right. I don't think we ever see that in Lord no. of the Rings. Which is interesting because that happens in a lot of other um, contexts. Do, can you tell me a little bit about oh, if you want? your experience with what is it the shadow of mortar yeah or other explicitly lord of the rings video games that you've played and that's like a that's a 21st century video game right yes post 2000 sure so shadow mortar other video games that i played um i'll end with shadow like i'll I'll mention some things um so at one point my brother bought an xbox then he tired of it and he gave it to me so i was able to buy some games i had like so for Lord of the Rings for Xbox there was there was Fellowship of the Ring which I never I don't think I ever got that for Xbox because I played on the computer there was the Two Towers there was a Two Towers game which I did play there was a Return of the King game which I think became very much more movie like directly from the movie I still have that one Um, and that was fun you could play as Aragorn Legolas Gimli on their adventure. You could play as Gandalf on his story. You could play as uh, Frodo on his story. You could unlock other characters like Faramir, Merry Pippin, Sam, which was cool. Maybe you played as Sam and you could unlock Frodo. 
You know, I remember hearing an interview with Ian, McKe- Ian McKellen. Yeah. Yeah, I remember hearing an interview with Ian McKellen talking about doing the voice work for those games. Yeah, and uh, like, so when I, and I remember watching the... the um, and because you could play every different character, so he'd have to be like, Legolas, look out! Gimli, look out! Yeah. Aragorn, look out! Yeah. Because you could play any character. Voice actor's job. Um, that was fun to be able to do, and I remember watching some interview with the actors who played those roles in the films and they were like this is really cool to play because you know in the film we were recording you would you would stab but you wouldn't hit the stunt guy and this so this one you can actually stab the orc yeah kill the orc ah! so was, they enjoyed that um so i played that game i played lord of the rings the third age on xbox which is like a turn-based game which felt kind of fan- final fantasy 7 where you'd have the characters, you'd have skills, and then it's like, okay, it's Legolas's turn to attack. Shoot a shoot this double arrow thing. Uh, takes out, takes out whatever um, bad guys or whatever. Um, there was Lord of the Rings Conquest, which you played all these games. Yeah, <laughs> there's Conquest on the on the Xbox, and that didn't have any of those characters, but it had. You could. I remember there was a battle at Weathertop. And you could just fight forever. You could just, if you didn't achieve the objective, it, it was like infinite bad guys, infinite good guys, and you're just in the middle of battle wreaking havoc. They just keep coming? Yeah. So what could, is the objective on Weathertop? I don't know. Just get to one place, and but there was no time limit, which is really cool. So if you, so you just, just hang out, if you just hang out, they'll just keep coming at you. Yeah. You keep getting experience points? Uh, or are there I, no or, experience points? I'm not sure if there are, or it maxes out. I, but you could battle on Weathertop. You could, as like, with all the like the Minas Tirith armor, you could bat- in that one. I think Sauron makes an appearance. Like, what if Sauron went to Rivendell, and you could fight in Rivendell? Mm-hmm. So, like, what if this happens? So you could play out different scenarios. That's um, really fan fictiony, right? You know, like, uh, yeah. What if? What yeah. would this? What would this story be like if this happened instead? Yep. Um, there. I. Th- I haven't played, but there's like a Lord of the Rings Total War where like you can control the units, and you like you're the general, like saying, "All right, you this unit go there, this unit do go there, these archers shoot over." There is another one where you could be different adventurers, not any of the main characters, but it's called War in the North. And these are all games for what system? I know they're on Xbox. Total okay. War might be better on a PC. Now they're fun. Yeah, you had fun doing that. Yeah. Okay, because. I believe it, but it also seems a little like milk in the publicity oh, of the movies, right? For you know, sure. Like how long can we run yeah. these Aragorn characters through the Happy Meals? Right. Can we make until, a cereal yeah. of like all the different shapes right. and like yeah, yeah. little toys and trading cards and action figures? Um, I think they're coming out with a Lord of the Rings Return to Moria, or if they haven't, like, so you can go into Moria and be dwarves and do whatever. Um, you know, the, I wonder about the licensing with that stuff. I don't. And I don't want to get into it on this podcast, but um, it's just not clear to me who is the beneficiary or the license holder for this stuff. Yep. No idea. Right. Copyright law and all that's all weird. Ask uh, the part-time hobbit. Yeah, but someone sold it without a doubt. Sure. Right? The, the, the estate must have sold it. Sure. Or they're or getting royalties or, yeah. or whatever. Yeah. yeah. It's um, wild. And, and it really, I, from my perspective, it really does dilute the vision. Okay. You know, because a lot of the stuff we've talked about and a few of the other things we're going to talk about are sep. They're not Lord of the Rings. 
they're not in Middle Earth. They're just influenced by, right? D&D isn't well, licensed by the Tolkien estate. It's just is like uh it takes an it takes its um takes its cues from Lord of the Rings. So let's come back to that dilute the vision. Does it dilute it or is the vision same as just like side, like side paths? But the game you wanted you asked me about was um Shadow of Mordor. And in this one you follow the story of this guy who's a ranger and it starts in when the men control the Black Gate and then the Black Gate's taken over by the baddies and then he returns as like a ghost figure. You meet up with this like elf spirit world guy and you can go into the shadow world and back and Gollum's there and it's actually a very well done game and you can gain experience points. You could learn new moves, new skills in which to kill orcs. Um, that one's a fun one. That one came out in 2011-ish, mm-hmm. 11, 13. It's more recent. Can I get to that dilute division thing? All right, so let's so all yeah so there are a bunch of games what like diluting the vision well so that kind of harkens back I was at the beginning of this episode I was like I don't know exactly why I picked these quotes but Tolkien does say that thing about the moment disbelief arises um, the spell is broken the magic or rather art has failed and that sometimes when when this I mean that's happening to Harry Potter very much in the last decade the last maybe two decades but probably most of the last decade. It's also happening to Star Wars, right? That the vision has failed? To, for me, yeah. Uh, a well, what's, lot of the, the, what's the vision? The vision, there's some, and I know I'm a bit of a, like a, a traditionalist or a purist or whatever in terms of the artistic vision. I, I, it's, it's hard for me to see something that's, something that's self-contained as it spills out into the world uh, for people to say things like, like what you just said about the, uh, you know, Golems there, and you can enter the you know enter this. What'd you call it? The enter the what realm? Like a spirit, spirit. or shadow? Like you can yeah, shadow. click some button, and then you're you're right playing as the ghost creature. Right. No, you know, there's, it just seems like it's it's riffing off of Lord of the Rings, but it's doing it not. It's doing it's it's doing it in the name of Lord of the Rings, mm-hmm. and that makes me. It's like you know, for example, if we if we wrote a story and it was the origin of Tom Bombadil. That the the it would dispel the magic of that mystery, and that would be the artistic intent would be to would be to dispel the magic of that mystery, or to dispel the mystery, and to create something beautiful in the eyes of the creator. Mm-hmm. But it really, um, in from for me, and I don't think I'm alone, although I might be in a minority. It just seems to cheapen uh, by 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 widening it, and and I guess maybe democratizing it. It it seems to dilute the vision. I don't know how to put it other than dilute the vision, right? Um, okay. It's like they keep... Okay, it's diluting because you got a little bit of, of pure material, pure liquid, and you just keep adding water to, to make it bigger, to sell more of it, right? And uh, and there's less and less of the original content in each of those spinoffs. Yes, I can see that part. Like, each subsequent thing gets weaker, but if you zoom out at like the whole thing, the whole thing of Lord of the Rings is growing. So it's, it is growing. So it's, like it's, it's, it's flat, bigger. It's flat. It's, it's flattening out. I it's, might argue that it's like, it's bigger, like the original content or whatever had like, there is more like it's sort of grown like the love or whatever the vision is, has grown, but it's spread out so much. 
Sort of, yeah, I spread out so much. That's exactly yeah, what so I mean. Yeah, so it's like it's spread out. Like you're saying, it's spread you out. That's a little diluted. Mix. You got pancake mix, and you're trying to make a dozen pancakes. Like, like you jam. Feed. Yeah, it's like yeah, spread right. jam on bread. Yeah, or try to make a pint of jam into two pints of jam by just adding water. Right. You know, how thin can we spread this before it stops being the actual thing, or people will stop buying well, so it? That, and it goes further. It does go further. It goes yeah. way further. Less stuff goes further. I mean, if you think about diluting gasoline or oil or whatever, I think it maybe becomes a little clearer what I'm talking about. The machine's not going to run as well. You know, maple syrup, watering it down. <laughs> well, then you just get maple sap. Yeah, back, right. You're turning it back into, back but, but into sap. You get a little it's, bit, and then well, more people get a little bit. You're almost like... Or is it like the, like the feeding of the thousands with five fish and two loaves of bread? That's a miracle, right? Right, that's a miracle, but that's also the the practical application which someone I learned in the past uh, 10 years was you know people were going to go people are walking out they're seeing this guy talk like they brought lunch with them sure they start passing right. around like pass around a train like oh like I'll eat I have a loaf of like I have a loaf of bread but right. I'll take half okay. and I'll share the other half and so, then more came back so these other lunch. these other content creators bring their lunch with them and if you bring the fixings for a fish taco and you only have a like if you get like a you know a tablespoon of fish for five tacos, at what point are you not actually eating fish tacos and just eating tacos, right? Non-fish tacos. That's kind of what I'm getting at. How much is uh, and it, it we don't have to agree, nor does nor do I have to win with my ethics of artistic purity, right? And if if you're good, I want to pivot immediately to. So it. I mean, I mean, I don't know that I'm good because I I think I disagree that. I mean, I guess it, sure it's maybe a little watered down or diluted. But at the same time, it's still, it's still there's something there, and it's still fun, it's still okay. good, it's still engaging in that world. An, another recent example of the dilution of a vision because you're gonna use up like how many times you're gonna read it? You can use it up eventually. You want something new and different? Got to keep it fresh. Yeah, but you could just have a different meal. You know, read Slaughterhouse Five instead. Right. Yeah, exactly. You read a different piece. So I'm reminded in this conversation of the dilution of, and I haven't read Song of Ice and Fire. But I think a lot of George R. R. Martin fans, people who are reading that series, regard Game of Thrones, the show, as being a dilution of the vision. And even as someone who watched Game of Thrones, I regard the final couple seasons, final few seasons maybe, as dilutions. Um, I mean, the final season, the book hasn't been written. Right. So he, and that's, just, yeah. he, he collaborated to do like... The outline or whatever, so they could make a episode, season eight or whatever. So they could spread it out and sell it to more people. So they could and sell it's it widely. Regarded. I don't know that they meant like the the intention may not be to spread it out. Well, spreading it out is selling it, selling it, right. creating more customers. I think I don't want to speak for all of uh, you know the entire world, but I think it's widely regarded as kind of a failure at the end. The last season, I think, is is. Do, do you? I mean, did you watch them? I watched them. Do you agree that the last season is a piece of shit? I don't remember it very well. There you go, right there. It's That's 2017. Okay. I mean, so, there's also. I mean, there's other stuff going. So on. what I don't was? Quite what remember was, it. What I was remember it? the final being like, ah, like I don't know about the character. It didn't feel like it was the diluted. character development. Yes, it was diluted because uh, I don't know why. Um, haste is maybe the reason. People who were reading those books were frustrated rightly so because they assumed he wasn't going to finish it and that is what happened and before he didn't finish it for the reasons that he didn't finish it because it became Game of Thrones the show I'm going to actually wait for a second if you don't mind here's what I'm trying to say I think that 
the George R. R. Martin fans are disappointed with the way the show worked. But I also think that before the show was even in production, I think people were frustrated with the pacing of his writing. They were frustrated that they were done with book two and it was taking him a long time to write book three. And they were frustrated that it was taking so long for the books to come out. And what people were saying was that it's gonna, what's gonna happen is it's gonna, it's gonna happen like it happened with Robert Jordan. Do you know Robert Jordan and The Wheel of Time? I've, he did The Wheel of Time? Robert Jordan is the author of The Wheel of Time. No, I saw, I saw the like, yeah, no, they, they I'm did not. turn it into they did turn it into a show. Yeah, on Amazon or something. Yeah, right. I saw that and like was watching this with someone and like the battle scene took too long. She's like, "Yeah, I'm out. I'm done with that. That's stupid." So, the Wheel of Time was a was a fantasy series that I I read in high school after I'd read Lord of the Rings and I did like it and I was very aware that it was downstream from Lord of the Rings and that's what I re- initially what I wanted to talk about 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 the Wheel of Time was was the connection to Lord of the Rings. I was immediately upon opening the books aware that the maps were remarkably similar to the maps of Middle Earth, and uh, and there's just a lot of things that are like it. They're, the Trollocs yeah. in that are like the orcs, um, but like also trolls because they're big and fast and they're quick and they're yeah right. The orcs are actually small. I forgot about that. In D- again, in D and D, the orcs are big. Right. Trollocs are yeah monstrous humanoid they're like beast men they're like mm-hmm. beast, beast men yeah, of uh, be- warhammer uh, terry morphic <laughs> um but the uh, what happened with robert jordan is that he died before he could finish the series and i i saw it coming even in high school i was on book nine or ten and it i was like i thought that this was going to be over like how and i gave up because I yeah. had I had like a presentiment that he, he was going to die and he wasn't going to finish it, and that is what happened. And a, another author finished the series, Sanderson, I think is his name. Okay. And I, I've glanced at that last book, and I'm I'm sure it's it's good. And I think you know props to Sanderson for doing it. Um, but there is, as you bring other content creators into the mix, there is a dil- there's a dilution that invested fans of the of the of the work experience as like a disappointment and I think that what happened with so the the art changes because the the hand that's creating it is different that's my yeah too many chefs spoil the soup right so and, like if Da Vinci was working on the Mona Lisa and then he died before he finished it and then like someone else came in to finish it it wouldn't be the same even if it was <clears throat> you might not be aware of it if you didn't know right but once you're aware of it the spell is broken mm-hmm. there's something and I know that's annoying and I could be more accepting of collaboration, but there is something about the untainted vision from the individual artist that I admire and appreciate. So in, in furniture, there are some pieces that are called married. So you might have a slam top desk and you, that there's a, you make it into a secretary by putting a bookshelf on top of it. And it's called, a, it's a married piece. The, they were built separately. They weren't meant to go together, but now you've, like, they're put together. But if you had the like one that was built as a full slant top secretary, then that's like, oh, that's much more beautiful. Or like a chest on chest. You put two pieces together, they're called married, but they don't work so well. But if the original is intact, wow. Now, when you say wow, you mean that's your aesthetic opinion or that's the traditional aesthetic take or that's the appraisal value differential? The appraisal value and the traditional aesthetic take. Sure, but not necessarily yours. Not necessarily mine. Sure. Yeah, there's a nice corner chair that my dad had that's has a married piece, it's which married, makes right. like a bigger back, and I really like that one. But is that because I I've only seen that one? Maybe 
if right, I saw a right. bunch and like looked at them for like as terms of like sculpture like wooden furniture sculptures maybe I'd be like yeah this other one's much better right and I do think we start to see that marriage not start to but Peter Jackson's films are the beginning of that descent into yeah he, ch- uh, he changes things yep he, he changes things and he also he dominates the vi- or maybe not dominate he he co-pilots in a way that doesn't feel earned to me interesting yeah interesting it's also interesting because you and I are, are just slightly different ages but enough that the those films had I think a bigger impact on you than they had on yeah, me yeah they were they came out in my in my formative years my high school years right they came out in my college years right yeah so I was like, like this is great. I get to see this. This is amazing. Um, my friend had the book on like the making of the films, which like the original costume sketches, sketches the landscape. And like, I remember we were in a drawing class and we were like sketch from that book. Let's like, like directly copy. Yeah, it was cool. I watched the movies. I watched the like the full length extended version of the movies. Yeah. I watched the full length movies with commentary at that time. And now, when you ask people here in this high school, have you read Lord of the Rings? That you're, I think, probably nine out of ten times you're going to hear, no, I've seen the movies. And yeah, that, I mean, I didn't, I didn't read it. I mean, I listened to it eventually. But did I listen to it after that? Maybe once before? I maybe. I thought you said in our first episode that you listened to them prior to seeing the films. I might have listened to them once, like on tapes, maybe the dramatized version. Yeah. I mean, I remember working... But the full audiobook that... We've, I've listened to it several times has been after for sure I remember teaching creative writing classes in the past 17 years uh, where students have said I want to write an epic fantasy fiction like the Lord of the Rings and I'm like oh so you, you know you like Lord of the Rings and they're like well you know I've seen the movies and <laughs> I mean that's you know my yeah, childhood yeah. was like that too prior to Lord of the Rings I, I saw fantasy films Willow for example yep um, that's a big turn on and then, I remember watching the 1986 cartoon version of The Hobbit that was in my mm-hmm. public library. I checked yeah. that out. Like I loved it. It was great. Yeah, those are cool. We haven't talked about any of those yet. Um, and I don't think we need to. There's one thing I still want to talk about. Um, and I think we should wrap up soon. Do you? What else do you want to talk about? Unless you're not satisfied with this dilution. The dilution thing. thing. I mean, I think I... I'll go with like one of the four pillars of something we were working on in school this year. I will expect and accept non-closure for the dilution thing but um in the in that video that the the part-time hobbit said how hippies saved the lord of the rings she mentioned something about like if you're worried about this or mainstream or whatever like she has her own take on it's like it's gonna be okay it's still fine it's still there it still exists you're fine but she didn't say it that way, and I don't remember what she said. But we're not going to look. You can you can look. I'm good now. If you want to look, you listeners can look. Okay. Yeah, I I'm aware that my artistic purism, pur, puritanism, pur, I don't know what it is. My obsession with singular vision is not uh, popular. In okay, fact, pop, right, so populism is maybe the counterpoint to that that perspective. Maybe this is maybe this is maybe we're getting to something here. Maybe this is the question. Do you so you John feel like it, it's diluting it's diluting it? Like does it you still have the original text, you still have yeah, the audiobooks. Right. I, yeah. You like you still enjoy it. Are you good with that? You don't have to engage in the other stuff. Does yeah. that does it 
the fact that other people enjoy that that other people do that does this does it offend me does it offend you does it make you feel badly about it or you like it makes me feel sad in a way that i'm not totally sure why like why do i care whether these people are watching fake ass versions of lord of the rings and like uh, i never would have read game of thrones if i didn't if someone didn't if i didn't go to dc to visit some friends they're like oh let's watch episode one and I was like, "Oh, that's kind of cool." Yeah, and now like now I want like I want to watch yes. it. And now you'll never finish Game of Thrones on book, or you'll never finish Song of Ice and Fire because it will never be written because <laughs> the vision was surrendered. I to never would the have masses. done it. Yeah, but I wouldn't have done it anyway. Yeah, but I, I wouldn't have gotten as far as I did. And listening to like reading the, the text of those are they are gruesome, and I had to stop because I was like, "This is dark. Like this is some fucked up shit in these books." And that's does that have anything to do with the dilution thing or not? Do you think? Or are you just observing that? Dilution? I mean, the film, like the the what was put for TV, was somewhat di- like diluted. Diluted, and like the stuff in film was disgusting. It's crazy to hear that because there. I mean, uh, I hold Game of Thrones, the show, largely responsible for my ultimate rejection of of sort of shows in general. I, I felt like that show was messing with me in a way that made me. The way that like a drug would mess with you, keep going back to it, and it keeps giving you a hangover. You know, <laughs> keeps letting you down. Yeah, yeah. I mean, at some point in the past, like five years, I think I've I've been moving away from TV and I and movies because like I see the writing behind it, I see the the formula of it. It's you like can popcorn. See the wires. It's the yeah, yeah. It's the same shit over and over. Yeah, and to see something so original and so um, crystalline emerge from one artist's imagination and then to be disassembled and reassembled into into that thing you're talking about that's like easily marketable probable mm. uh, I mean that's I think a lot of the blowback from what's it called the the Amazon the new Amazon show is about that uh, like Rings just, of Power yeah Rings of Power that's just like a really extreme example of this watered down um, maybe watered down is not the right word it's a reappropriation or an appropriate. It's an appropriation. Yeah, and I'm I'm not into that. And I may not like. It's not really all that great. Maybe I'll watch the next season. Maybe I won't. But the hop the movies of the Hobbits were terrible. I hate those. How I much, will not watch those. How much of the spinoff stuff can you watch before you lose touch with the original vision? I don't That's know. I real, you know. I haven't lost touch with it yet. And the yeah. text is always there. And Stephen Colbert's recommendation of like read these chapters as a poem to the English countryside, mm-hmm. love like a love letter to him. I can still go back and read that again after like garden like working my garden in the summer. Maybe I'll go back and look at it. Yeah, like the text is there. Sure, it still exists in its original state. Yeah, I mean, some of this is tied in with anxieties that I'm having about AI. I don't, you know, it's everyone's having anxiety about AI this month. <laughs> As, as AI suddenly takes over cyberspace and, and the art world. Um, the All past, the final essays of in the high school are yeah. actually chat GPT. Yeah. I mean, like out on the radio the other day, they're like, listen to this AI, uh, new Beatles song. Like, oh, it's an AI poem. It. Like, oh, great. Well, no, an AI, it's an AI, AI photograph by, you know, uh, Sylvia Plath. AI song meant to look like the Beatles, sound like the Beatles. Uh, it just like it just puts an arrow through my heart it really does and I don't know why I'm so bound to authenticity mm. and I don't know if that's like my Achilles heel it's probably, some, it's probably some like innate human quality hmm 
There's something in us as humans that need that. So, I don't know if this is a good segue or not, but it feels feels natural enough. I want to talk about my last artifact. And that's uh, this, this book, series of comic books, graphic novels, whatever you want to call it, called ElfQuest. Do you know it? Have I asked, did I ask you about it on the phone, maybe? I'm sure I did. Yeah, you might have been. You might have done, but like Elf, like such right. like Quest. What yeah. what generic words and just yeah. put them together? Right. So Elf Quest, Dwarven is Dungeon, Orc Elf Quest Pursuit. Elf Quest is an epic fantasy involving a tribe of elves living in this world that's not Middle Earth and that's not our world. I think it's called the World of Two Moons, um, and it's it feels like a personal arc for me. Because the story goes like this. The story goes that when I was in probably like fourth grade, maybe third grade, maybe fifth grade, but I think probably fourth, um, this girl that I knew said, Elf Quest is my favorite book. She might even put that in like our fourth grade yearbook or whatever. Um, we made a little yearbook and you know, favorite mm-hmm. color, favorite yeah, food, da, 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 favorite da, book. what I'm going to be when I grow up. And Elf Quest is, was her favorite book. And I was like, uh, huh, you know, and she might have she might have shown it to me. I don't remember. But I do remember finding one of them, maybe like one of a set of five. There's been a lot of publication history is pretty, um, pretty diverse. There's been a lot of different editions, but there were full color editions published at one point. And I remember finding in my local town library one of the full color volumes and cracking it open and, and looking at it and, and being overwhelmed partly overwhelmed because I happened to open up to like what's basically like an orgy scene and this and and just being like kind of blown away by the content but also by the color and I I guess I had not read Lord of the Rings I may have read The Hobbit already and I had certainly seen like Willow and uh you know the Black Cauldron was floating around in like the Disney consciousness or whatever Mm -hmm. um so I've got this like connection to this girl and and through that I've got this connection to this text with all this magic stuff going on in it and all these magical characters and all these colors and then that's it and then I didn't hear about ElfQuest again for like 30 years or whatever and then this year a student of mine said we're doing final projects in AP literature and composition where their students are going to get up and talk about some piece of art some some literature and do a presentation on it and he, he's like can I do ElfQuest and I was like El- can you do ElfQuest hell yeah you know um, and I told him I've been meaning to read ElfQuest for 30 years or whatever. <laughs> Since fourth grade. Yeah. And he's like, yeah, I read it 12 times. And it had a huge impact on him. And he has the collected, you know, the big omnibus edition, right. the huge brick. So he brings it in. He gave it to me. I read it and uh, my child read it. We both read it like within a week. Wow. Uh, buzzed right through it. And listener, I'm, I think hopefully some of the listeners out there have, have read it. And if not, you should check it out. I think it's gorgeous. And I think it's a really good example of something that feels downstream from Lord of the Rings, but isn't like a real explicit take. It's not a spin-off of Lord of the Rings. Yeah. Um, what does it have in common with Lord of the Rings? It has the following in common with Lord of the Rings. It's got elves in it. And it's got a notion that the elves have been sundered. In the Silmarillion, there's there's a lot of talk about what's called the sundering of the elves. As they move as they move west toward uh toward the ocean and their destination in Valinor um various groups drop out and uh and like you know make a home in Middle-earth 
and then they're sundered again as they as they come back because the you know the Noldor decide to leave some of them decide to come back and, and fight uh, Morgoth and that's how we end up with like the Sindarin elves and the Noldorian elves and the, I think they're called the Teleri the gray elves green elves wood you know in D&D that's the wood elves and the high elves mm-hmm. Warhammer wood elves high elves dark elves right exactly yeah and and that notion that there's a, a race sort of a supreme archetypal original race of humanoid beings and they've been sundered into different groups that's that's retained or reiterated sort of like the uh, the finches in the galapagos probably yeah, there's like, one there's one thing and then it like then they evolve into different little things yeah 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 they fill different niche. they fill different niches right in elf quest there's you know the the wolf riders who are our main tribe they're like a deep wood um hunter gatherer group mm-hmm. but then there's like some some elves that are living in like a desert oasis and they're like really sun and sand oriented mm-hmm. and then there's a group living under the mountain and then there's a group living in the far north um, and they make all the toys yeah they're the, they're the ones that make the toys okay <laughs> <laughs> and the other thing that it has in common with Lord of the Rings that maybe is that maybe is the oh the other thing they have in common with Lord of the Rings is this the notion that the world is populated with different magical beings there's not any orcs, but there are trolls. There are trolls in ElfQuest, and there are elves, and there are humans. And, you know, like, uh, that general setup of different fantasy archetypes uh, cooperating, trading, fighting, uh, in some cases interbreeding, that feels, that feels downstream from Lord of the Rings also. And right. I don't know if maybe we're talking about fantasy tropes that precede Lord of the Rings, we're not going to get into it because we don't. I don't want to do this. All, I I could do this all day with you, Clark, but the day's growing short, and I still have to jump in the river, and you still have to go to graduation. Yep. And um. So there is a fount from which Lord of the Rings springs, with elves and trolls and humans, uh, and it. But I really it it sometimes it feels like it issues directly from Tolkien. Yeah, I think cuz I think cuz he's the OG. He's the original the original fantasy novel epic for adults. Like in a in a readable way that's not like The Odyssey of the Iliad which is like boring kind of Iliad wasn't good to read. But this is this is adventure. This is like it's the you could be any one of the characters, you can identify right, with right. them. Like there it's complex. There's the mystery of the world. But you're not worried about that. Sort of like there's a mystery to our world. There's so much that we will never know about it. And also, but we're living our lives, and we can't choose to be an elf, and we can't choose to be a half orc, right? Um, but there is maybe like a, there's maybe like a, like an antique notion of race racial difference, right? That might that might be like where it comes from. Oh, the Europeans are different than the Africans are different than the Asians are different than the Americans. Mm-hmm. Americans in in terms of indigenous Americans, right? Um, the Romans are different from the Gauls, different right. from the yeah, Celts, yeah, yeah. different from the yeah, and the and Nordic. maybe maybe this epic fantasy model. We got into this a bit in, in the supremacy model. Maybe it's maybe that's what it is. Is an attempt to like differentiate sufficiently to not have to deal with the messy reality that humans are all humans. Yeah. Which is kind of a grim socio-political way to end. So maybe let's just dial it back, or maybe I'll just erase everything I just said and end with you saying Tolkien's the OG. Tolkien's is the that, OG. Is that what you think? You think he's the? Is he the beginning? 
of this stuff. There's no elf quest. There's no D and D. There's no no. There's a uh, without King without Arthur. Tolkien. There's yeah. King Arthur. There's, there's no Robin elves. Hood. There's no elves in that stuff though, right? There's no dwarves. There's, there's a little. Dwarves. There's a little magic in King Arthur. There's a little magic in that in that legend in that myth. There's also one thing that's consistent is there's there's often a dark lord. There's no dark lord in ElfQuest. Hmm. But there is in a lot of these. And there's maybe no dark lord in Game of Thrones either, is there? It's a Game of Thrones, right? It's there's everyone's the dark. No. There is an there is a dark lord and it's the isn't it the the war Is this a spoiler lord? alert? Yeah, for anyone who doesn't for anyone who doesn't you don't know, know yet. Yeah. I mean the White Walkers or whatever. Is that what they're called? Oh, yeah. They're like they're like the they're like the Nazgul, right? Yeah, but who's in charge of them? I don't know who's in charge of them. There's like a force. There's a Song of Ice and the Song of Fire. Oh, I see. Right? I guess. Well, with that also, like, I never would have been engaged if the movies didn't happen. But and like, I still learned something from it. I like that is the show, and it was um Tyrion Lannister watching the movie like the different seasons and as it evolves being like this guy's a dick this guy sucks what an evil character uh this guy just did a thing which isn't all that bad actually this guy's kind of good now i like him and now the Tyrion. guy that i did like now i don't like that and that you're person's turning you're evil talking about Tyrion and not jamie yes okay interesting Tyrion. Tyrion, i always like they don't. all like all of those characters like they're they all go through this thing of like they're they're good and then they turn like I like them and they're good and then they turn bad or the bad ones are like I hate them and then they turn good and except we, yeah. Ned was always good but where did that yeah, get him yeah, and exactly. Joffrey was always bad right and he gets his desserts oh yeah and then you're like ha ha right. oh yay we don't, we don't get much shifting between good and evil behavior in Lord of the Rings right Pretty but what, what I like about and this was the supremacy of like from supremacy where he said the poison you can take is like being reductive the the tonic or the good you can do is like learning like we can learn about humanity through it that's what i learned i learned something about dichotomy and the hashtag that's been on my board for years it's dichotomy and i got that from game of thrones and lannister Tyrion lannister as he was like his bad and then he was good so join us next week as we pivot into a podcast explicitly about Song of Ice and Fire and <laughs> Game of Thrones. We're not we're not doing that. No, we're not doing that. But I like what what is nice about Lord of the Rings and Tolkien as the as the OG. It's a world that he lays out and he describes the world and it's I enjoy like for me I can enter into that world and believe it and I like I've kept seeking out these fantasy novels, these stories, like what else, like what is downstream? What can I pick up that is, will engage me that's original and creative from that? And some of the, some of these books, I try and listen to as audiobooks, and they're tough because they start in Medias Race. They're like, oh, this thing, and like, oh, we're bringing this thing back from the dead already. And um, Aragon, Aragorn, Aragon. Aragon started sort of in Medias Race. Uh, this new thing I'm trying to listen to, Sabriel, kind of starts the same way. But I liked the pacing of Lord of the Rings because you can enter into it. Like, all right, there's this party. I remember Bilbo. I remember the Hobbit. The Hobbit lays it out very easily, very easily, so you can enter into it, and then you can continue with Lord of the Rings. And it, it's a nice pace where you can understand the world. And when you're at the end, it never really ends, as I think we've demonstrated in this version. I, I maybe it's dilution, maybe it's inspiration. Yeah. But it does. I think the cup does overflow. 
And I think um, Harry Potter also has that like a similar way where she describes the world and you enter into it slowly in, in an understandable way rather than being like, oh, this and like throwing all these vocabulary words at you like China mm-hmm. Mieville might. And you're like, I don't actually know what's going on. Right. Is this a word that I can look up in a dictionary or did you invent this? Right. It's, it gets a little sticky. So they're, they're this, like these books are, the text is wonderful. You get into it, you get the characters. It's great descriptions. It's got songs. It's got adventure. It's got <laughs> no women. <laughs> it's got fellowship. It's got a compl- It's got a rich complexity to it. Word. Word. It's impossible to end this, Clark. And now, well, we're back. Peace. Thanks, man. <laughs>